Hi, my name is Diewald Kirsten and I'm a photographer based in South Africa. I've always had a huge passion to connect with people from all walks of life. And the national lockdown has forced me to do that. I've had to come up with new and interesting ways of connecting with friends and connections and people that I've always wanted to connect to. Hence, this podcast. I'm doing daily live shows on my Facebook page where I talk to new and interesting people. And these I will be converting to podcasts that you can listen to on your own time. So please stick around and uh, love to hear your feedback. Good morning, everyone. Um, right, looks like we are live again for another one of the lockdown live shows. And everything's set up, good to go. Um, we're doing this one on YouTube this morning, um, purely because Facebook is so unstable uh, with this. I'm not sure if it's the amount of traffic currently going in there um, from applications like Zoom. But anyway, right, here we are. Uh, this morning I'm going to be chatting with a good friend of mine called Warren Fleming. Warren is based out Sedgefield Neisner Way and he is a good mate of mine. Warren's also listed as one of the Olympus ambassadors. And he's also a master of uh, printing your stuff. Warren's done some work for me and uh, they had a little printing shop down in Eisner where they do a lot of guys' works, including our good friend Andrew Averly as well. Um, and Warren's going to chat a little bit about um, printing your artwork, Olympus cameras and just whatever comes up. So um, please hang around. Um, we should have Warren coming in in a couple of seconds. And then, yeah. Looking forward to it. Please ask your questions if, if there's any, and um, this is going to be another cool one. Good morning. Hey, morning, Devops. How are you? All right, and you, man? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, sir. Uh, are, you, are you still kicking through this whole thing? Yeah, getting through it, eh? Not too, not too bad. <laughs> um, I think uh, for for us guys that work from home, it's 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 you know it's it's not too much of a difference other than going out and shooting. It's uh, the home life is pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what's your what's your first thing you're going to be doing when this all is over? Um, sure. To be honest, I haven't thought about it. Obviously, try to get a few shoots done. Um, you know, I've got a few things lined up uh, that uh, I can't obviously get done now. Fortunately, got a bit of work in uh, to, to keep me busy at the moment, which is which is nice. Um, not a lot of guys, especially in the photographic uh, industry, are actually being able to work through this time. So, so it's quite nice. Right. But the the big thing is we need to keep ourselves busy and keep our minds ticking because most of us are creative people and we we need to be creative to just stay sane. Yeah, no, completely. I agree. Um, I've uh, I've. Uh, I've set uh, one of the jobs I've had recently is is to photograph uh, a whole lot of stainless steel dry equipment and all of that, and without having access to a studio or anything, it's been quite a nice creative challenge to sort of get lighting and stuff done, you know, outside uh, using sheets, uh, natural lights, reflectors, all of that thing. So it's been quite quite cool in the creative creative side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, um, and especially now that you've got time to to do that kind of stuff where you need. Well, you need to be um, you need to be able to spend some time to do that kind of thing. 
because it's not yeah, just, definitely. It's, I mean, it's, just, it's not it's just put like the sort of job that uh, normally would take me maybe a day is taking me about four days. You know, where you can nitpick and uh, get really technical and make sure everything's a hundred percent on camera without having to sort of rely on any sort of tricks here or there in Photoshop, deep edging, and all of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's kept me busy. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so are things done in the garden route? Otherwise, is it is it quiet? Yeah. It's, it's generally a quiet time of the year anyway, but it's well, quieter than normal. Yeah, definitely quieter than normal. I've been into town once or twice, and it's you know it's 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 not dead. I mean, there are a few people here and there, but otherwise, it's it's actually quite nice. It gives us a, a sense of getting our, our quiet town back in a way, which is which is really nice. Okay. Okay. Cool. And your side, how's things? How's things in the in the Winelands? Look, to be honest with you, um, at this stage, there's a lot of parts of Worcester which don't think that we are in lockdown. And we've talked about this, and we spoke to a friend of ours this morning, who's also also got a little small business. Is the fact that um, the people that's not complying to the rules are stuffing it up for everybody else. Um, because this thing is yeah. definitely this thing won't be over in, in a week and a half's time. It's we're gonna we're gonna be in this for the long run. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's, it's for the long haul. Uh, it's for the best. I mean, obviously, it's it's going to affect a lot of us, but you know, it has to be done. So we have to do what we have to do. Yeah, I think the people that's going to survive coming out of this is the ones that got creative and innovative in keeping connection with everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, I look, I look at like my father, for example, who lives around the corner. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's got a good life. I mean, he's basically retired now, and uh, I check his 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 goal for the day is to take a creative photo with his beer in his garden every day. <laughs> and I think, oh, I would love to have a life like that, you know. Uh, but I mean, he's 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 worked his way through the hardships like we have to now, you know, to get to get to to where he is. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's the goal. Just a bit of history. How long have you, how long has you have you has your family been in the photographic industry in the garden route? In the garden route, uh, we moved uh, from Johannesburg in 1996. So, you know, I mean, 24 years, my dad's been uh, a photographer in the region. Um, back in the day when he started in Neisner, you know, he was one of the, the top uh, photographers in the area. Um, you know, I mean, this is still going back to the days of analog and things. He came from a huge photographic background up in Johannesburg. So the family business sort of went for, you know, around 20 years. Um, and then about four or five years ago, I can't remember exactly, I sort of went solo on my own. And, you know, so we, we've had a presence in this area for a long time in the photographic industry. Okay. And what kind of, what kind of photos did you guys do mainly? Um, well, one of the biggest specialities that we do is um, architectural interior photography. Uh, we, we're very specialized in, in lighting and you know, shooting proper portfolios of guest houses, big hotels, uh, high-end properties for sale, working with architects. So that's probably one of the, the, the things we're more renowned, uh, renowned for in the area. I mean, obviously, we do a, a wide variety from commercial shoots to weddings to family portraits. Uh, you know, we, we'll take the odds and ends here and there, but the, the architectural side has been probably the biggest and then uh, probably is one of the biggest uh, namesakes is the, the connection with Olympus South Africa and Olympus yes. Germany, which has sort of given us a lot of boost over the years as well. Okay, tell us, tell us about that. How did, you, how did you get involved with that 
and why Olympus? Um, okay, well, let's start off with, with uh, my father back uh, when when digital photography sort of became a a, a new a new thing. He he had predominantly shot on Nikon most of his life. He had spent millions and millions with Nikon over the years. And basically, when digital cameras came out, he was looking at what was the best option to go for. And he got a hold of the, the guys from Olympus, uh, South Africa. It was a different import agency back then. And he asked to borrow some equipment. And he did quite a lot of research. And he saw there was quite a quite an interesting future with, with their systems. So basically, he got started on Olympus from a very early age, um, in, in the digital era at least. Um, so basically, when I came into the business, um, I was actually working as a chef at the time, sort of got a lot uh, burnt out, you know, the hours were just killing me. Uh, so I went in and started learning photography to help my father out with his business. And Olympus was the brand he was using, so I started off using the, the brand. Got quite involved with it um, on the technical side. The sort of the knowledge from the importer's side wasn't the greatest, so we used to give a lot of uh, technical advice and, you know, uh, do workshops for the Olympus guys. And we sort of got in bed with them that way. And it's something that just grew and grew and grew over the years to just being a, an ambassador, to being an international visionary uh, in the past, uh, you know, just doing as much as we could with the brand. And it's, it suited us quite well. And how is, the, how is the Olympus brand doing in terms of market share in South Africa at the moment? Um. In terms of the marketing in this country, I don't know the exact figures, to be quite honest with you. The the brand itself has grown um, quite considerably in the last few years, especially, uh, you know, the last few releases of their top professional camera systems. It's it's grown quite, quite rapidly. But, I mean, if you look at other countries, like especially technological countries like Japan, I mean, in, in the mirrorless market, Olympus is, is on top in Japan, for example. Okay. So worldwide, they're, they're going from strength to strength. Mm -hmm. uh, Okay, yeah, but it, I've I've shot with them and it's a it's a brilliant little camera. It's, um, it it really is a nice system to work with, and it's the only the only thing that's difficult is the menu. But otherwise, as soon as you figure that out, it's it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same. I mean, like if you work on Windows and you go to to Apple, you know the menu is different. Or if you shoot on Olympus and you go to Nikon, the Nikon's menu is difficult. So. For me, I find uh, other manu manufacturers' menus difficult. So, you know, it's it's chalk and cheese. But uh, the, the newer systems, the menus have changed considerably since um, since when we shot together with the Olympus. Okay. It is actually probably a little bit more technical now, um, but it gives you a lot more options. Okay, okay. Have you have you played with the new um, um, OMD, uh, the Mark III one? I briefly, uh, a few weeks ago, I was in uh, the Kalkari with uh, Lars Johnson, one of the, uh, the, the, fashion, uh, the portrait and rock photographer visionaries for Olympus. Yeah. Yeah, so we were out there for a couple of weeks. He had the new Mark III out, out there. I played with it briefly. Um, at that, that stage, I was shooting with the EM1X, which is the sort of the bigger body with the integrated grip yes. and everything. Yes. So the system is quite similar to the Mark III, a few, a few improvements on the Mark III, but pretty impressive, I must be honest. Uh, some of the, the 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 sort of the features on the camera are absolutely phenomenal, especially for wildlife, sports, action photography. It's it's yeah, incredible. The, the fast frame rates is amazing on that thing. Yeah, very fast. I mean, up to sixty frames per second in RAW. Never mind pre-shooting with the Pro Capture. I mean, you, you never miss an, any action. Um, I actually caught the other day when you were talking to Andrew Averley. Uh, we were talking. Uh, you were talking about the the great white sharks 
reaching yes. uh, then Mossel Bay <coughs> that you sadly missed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the features like that with the fast frame rates. I mean, you get the, the action from before the, the white shark reaches out the water. You're getting it from before it even touches the surface of the water, the full action, everything. You never miss a shot. And with high frame rates like that at 60 frames per second, I mean, you can start turning it into sort of 8K video even at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can if you yeah. if you put them in like a time lapse thing, you can create a nice little. Video yeah, because I mean, if it's six at sixty frames per second, I mean you're shooting uh, at at full full resolution. Uh, I mean that's 60, 60, 60 frames per second. Essentially, you can turn it into a video, and you can get some really yeah, incredible can, high quality stuff. You can get a you can get a two second thirty frame uh, video clip. Pretty much, yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, two seconds, like with a white shark breaching like that, two seconds is, is more than enough. Yeah. The action's over in half a second. Yeah, yeah. And, and also with um, what I want to say about that is that, especially with the white shark stuff, you could have, you could focus on the decoy being towed and just lock it into manual focus and you literally just need to sit there and press the button. They're pretty much exactly that. Um, I use I use it with a rear focus, so I mean that's pretty much just setting the focus point for the focus distance where you need it, and then you know the rest is done from there. But it's the same concept, and it's it's really fantastic. And with the stabilization as well, especially being on the boat, yes, with the uh, the five axis stabilization where the sensor floats in a magnetic field, with any of the movements on the boat, it's just incredible. You can get uh, it's so nice and smooth. Yeah, especially if you want to shoot video of that as well. The the video on the Oh yeah, the video on Olympus is really, really good. It, it's a very nice video video system. Yeah, I must be honest on the on the two latest cameras, the M one X and the M one M one Mark III, the the new Cinema four K with the four hundred log feature. Yeah, uh, gives you so much more dynamic range on your video. Uh, it's it's really incredible. I mean, obviously, it's a lot more more time spent in post. You know, like if you're using Premiere or whatever, mm. you're using it. It's time-consuming afterwards, but the, the flexibility of the files is—it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it, does the new um, ones? And have, also, sorry, sorry? Does, does the new ones have 4K 60 um, frames per second, or still um, 30 um, frames? Unfortunately, second? no. It's still down to 24, 24, five frames per second on okay. 4K, uh, which which is is, is a which feature is I'd like to see improved. Which possibly on the next camera they'll bring out a higher frame rate than 4K. Uh, that is the one downside, I would say, to the video. But the, the quality is, to me, at the end of the day, more important. If I want to shoot something with higher speed, I'll, I'll go down to, to, to a lower resolution with a higher frame rate, and, and you know, I'll just have to live with it. Yeah, it's like uh, myself and Raymond spoke the other day. Is South Africa and most of the world is not really geared up for 4K watching yet. So yeah, no, it, completely. Um, the only, the only um, but even the in my... The only thing with the 4K is you're future-proofing yourself for in case somebody needs that footage in 10 years' time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's nice to have it if it's, that it's available. But also for me, on, on, a, on a processing level, even if I take 4K and I render it down to, to 1080 or something, I find the, the sharpness is a lot better than, than actually just shooting in full HD. <clears throat> so so from, from that, that sort of perspective, you've got, you've got a little bit, bit of a higher quality end result, even if... If downscaling from 4K, yeah, and you can and you yeah. can crop in a little bit if you if you need to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can crop in, zoom in. Um, you know, it's a lot more flexible. Yeah, 
So um, one of the really cool features of the Olympus cameras that I remember when I played with it or shot with it was uh, the weather sealing and dust sealing on those things are next level. Um, and then yeah, definitely. Um, that, yeah, that's that's definitely one of the the the. the in in my opinion, it's it's probably the, one of the toughest camera systems on the market. Uh, just to give you an idea, when I go out to the Kalahari, I mean the, the equipment get takes a beating with the dust. Um, even this last trip, I did we had a lot of rain, which is. Uh, quite nice in that area. I mean, we were shooting out the windows, the cameras were dripping with mud. Um, you know, with the, with a pro lens and a pro seal body, sometimes you can just take it in the shower with you, give it a rinse off and then pass it dry and, you know, Bob's your uncle. Uh, mm. It's not something most people would ever even dream of doing, but, you know, that's sort of exactly how tough and strong these cameras are. And you've, you've done that? You've taken it in the shower and washed it off? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please times plenty times yeah um i wouldn't say this out loud louder but i have uh, once or twice even to get a split level shot in the in the ocean with like a rock pool i've actually submerged the camera halfway in the water taken a pic quickly taken out rinsed it off dried it up and, and you know not recommended but it can do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah none of these things are normally recommended if if you buy an iphone the new ones or the new Samsungs, they all say, well, we're IP67 waterproof and no bank shoot. But if you can read the fine print, no chlorine, no salt, no this, no, you need to put it in distilled water if you want to, if you want to um, yeah. have the warranty be, not be void if you stuff it up. Yeah, that's why I don't buy phones <laughs> like that. I use uh, this, it's called an oil phone. That's not a, a casing, that's the actual phone. It's about four times the weight of anything else. It's military-grade spec. Um, you can't actually drive over it with a car. I have dropped it out the window of a car. I jump in the pool with it. What what phone is that? The cat one? Yeah. I break phones a lot, so I've got to, I've got to use the fuel phone. Fuel phone. It actually makes the cat phone look like a toy. A fuel phone? Fuel. U-L-E-F-O-N-E. Okay. Where, where do you get that? Yeah. Uh, there's a company in South Africa called uh, Rugged Gear SA. Oh, yes. and they do all, a whole range of like sort of military specs, cell phones, tablets, uh, uh, casings, all of those sort of things. So absolutely amazing company. They're, they're great service. They're fast, they're efficient, and they're really well priced. Okay. Really well priced. Oh, yeah, always. Uh, if ever you're looking to buy something, wait for Father's Day specials. <laughs> I think I got that thing for about four and a half thousand rand. Absolutely stupid. Yeah, I haven't got four and a half grand for a new phone now. <coughs> no, nobody has. <laughs> um, a friend of mine, he's, he, he swears by the cat phones, and we um, went camping one evening. Um, we went camping one evening on their farm, and he put his phone down on one of those those cloth camp chairs, and the wind, ca the wind, oh, came, yeah? up, the wind came up the light, and the next morning he thought, where the hell is the phone? He was looking everywhere. We phoned it. It was off. You thought maybe the battery ran out. The wind took the wind flipped the, the chair, and it flew from the chair into the fire. Hey. So we so we found it in in the fire, all burnt up the next morning, and it was completely shot. He, he couldn't even save his SIM card. Yeah, quite quite surprising. The battery didn't pop. Sure. Yeah, we were all sleeping. We didn't know. We didn't hear anything. Um, yeah, just. 
Yeah, it's always some, some fun camping story. Always. Yeah. 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 Okay, right. Tell me quickly about the about your print experience before we get into into talking about preparing the images. Okay. Well, as you know, um, I, when I when I had a, had my studio in Eisner, we had a printing company. Uh, we used a, a large format Canon IPF eight four hundred, absolutely phenomenal uh, machine. The the quality of the print and the color variancy is just incredible. So we offered a professional printing service um, that's like doing sort of high end prints from high end media. I mean, obviously we served the local, you know, small canvases, this and that, but we did quite a lot of jobs for for photographers, uh, guest houses, architects, all you know, big variety of sort of top end prints on fine German media. Um, so you know, we 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 got quite well known as being really top end on in terms of quality and um, you know, sort of supply. As you would know, we we've done a fair amount of work for you as well mm. over the years. Uh, so basically, yeah, I got really interested in printing, and you know, the digital side of it is is probably to me, you know, you can have you can have the best uh, equipment in the world, and but if you don't know how to use it or to, to get the input right, you know, your results are, are really shocking. So I spent a, a lot of time studying and learning the the fine arts of printing, and sort of it, it became a, a passion of mine, which I really love. And uh, that's uh, basically what we're going to be here to talk about is how to prepare and, you know, look at images, what we look at in terms of to get the best quality out of them at the end of the day. And tell me quickly, what's the, what, from your experience, what's the biggest mistakes that most photographers make when, when, when editing their images? Um, even if you, if, you, if you talk about family photographers or baby guys or wedding guys, um, what would you say could be the number one issue with them that doesn't give them the best print results? Okay. All right. Firstly, what I noticed a lot of the time is color. Color is always the biggest issue. Um, you know, you've got you've got a variety of different screens, laptops, Macs, you name it, um, and the color rendition that you get off, off your screen is different from one machine to the next, to the next, to the next. And your guys boast that their machines are or their, their systems are color calibrated using spiders or whatever they use. At the end of the day, the, the calibration of the color is the most important because to get a photograph printed, you want to be able to have it come out what you see on your screen, which is always the biggest problem. So 90% of the time, I always try recommend guys to, to come in and look at the colors. But obviously, you know, when they're far away, like like you, for example, it's not, not so easy. And color is is probably the biggest the biggest color with contrast lightness darkness you know the the results are not always what people expect because they 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 see things differently on their computer and color calibration is probably the most key and vital aspect that what you see is what you get and it's something else that's not really easy to do because every printer's got a different sort of let's call it set of colors that uh, the output gives, you know, one uh, an Epson to a Hewlett-Packard to a, a Canon, the colors will come out ever so slightly different. Yeah. So for me, the color calibration is really, really important. And the only accurate way to actually do it is to calibrate your monitor to the printer that you're using, not to any specific uh, color calibration code or, or system. And that's that's the big problem is, is the variance between people's computers and screens. And, and uh, when you say that, it's also the problem is when, when let's say I shot a wedding and I deliver it to my clients and off they go and they are in a hurry and they run into the little quick one hour print lab in the mall, 
where these guys have often the people working with the images has got absolutely no idea about they just click print and the size and where it must print um, then then there's issues that come in so it, it's I think for most photographers that hope their clients print the stuff I think that's the biggest issue so what would you recommend that they do on their side to make it as foolproof as possible you know it, it's always difficult like with, with something like a wedding because your clients are obviously not always in the same area that you are. Um, if it is like, say, for example, I had a client that lives in this area that got married, I could recommend somewhere to go and get their stuff printed because I know their quality and their colors are good. Yeah. So uh, from a photographic perspective, you should part of your package, you should say, listen, if you do want to get stuff printed, this is what I recommend. Say you've got a client from Joburg, you know, you research the guys up there and say two clients, you know, your, your wedding couple, listen, guys, if you want to get your, your stuff printed, don't go to these, you know, these little labs that will just do willy-nilly prints. Go to a proper professional lab, get the stuff done properly. Uh, you know, I suppose the best thing you can do is to recommend the, the right places in the right areas. It's not always possible, but, you know, try to. Yeah, and also it comes down to, to budget as well, what the clients are prepared to pay. If, if, if clients want something really nice, and it, it, it's also another avenue where photographers can make a little bit of money as a sideline but normally by the time it gets to that the client has exhausted his his budget and he's just happy to view the stuff on his phone or on his laptop yeah definitely i mean print is sort of a, a very dying art in a sense i mean no one really prints albums anymore you know there's the photo book here and there but albums and, and prints are sort of going out of fashion and it's just becoming very expensive i mean good quality papers and things are not cheap yeah so the viewing aspect is very important i mean make sure that the viewing portfolio is there but in terms of the printing it's definitely something that's sort of falling away a lot large format printing is probably more popular than album printing if you want to call it yeah, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get uh, Gilliam from Creative Albums on one of these chats as well. And he, they do amazing work. They, they really do. Yeah, print, definitely. They really do print a lot of wedding albums um, for, for photographers in, in the Western Cape and probably in quite a bit of South Africa as well. And I really want to chat to you about yeah. stuff like that also. Um, I was going to say something now, but uh, I forgot about it. Anyway, so, okay, right. So what are we going to chat about in terms of printing? All right. Well, basically, you know, let's, let's start from the beginning. When, when it comes to printing, say you're shooting to print, uh, whether you're a landscape photographer, a wildlife photographer, a wedding photographer, um, at the end of the day, you are going to eventually get one or two shots that are phenomenal here and there. Or, well, as a wedding photographer, hopefully more than one or two. <laughs> but, like, if you go out to landscape shooting, say you go out to, to the Cedarburg or wherever you go, uh, you do your night trails, you know, you, you're, you're, you're photographing with the intention of getting a print out of it at the end of the day. You do online sales. I mean, you know, yeah. your images print beautifully. So it's, it's the sort of, you know, it's, it's the goal when you shoot a lot of the time. So when you're shooting, the starting point is what file format to use, obviously. Um, that's, that's always the key, key difference. If you want the highest quality print, use the best quality file, which always is going to be the raw file from the camera. Um, so let, let's break it down and look at why a raw file is better than a JPEG file, for example, in terms of print itself. 
Uh, firstly, a JPEG file will always sit at an 8-bit format, which gives us a very sort of low amount of, of colors that, that are available to us. And when I say low, we're talking 16.7 um, million colors, right? Which it sounds like a lot, but it's not really that high. With a lot of these color printers that we print on nowadays, they use 12 different ink cartridges, so they give us a very high number of colors that are actually available. Using a RAW file, for example, a RAW file can go anywhere from 8 to sort of 16-bit. Those are sort of our averages. Most of the time, we use 16-bit RAW when we print. And the 16-bit RAW file will give us, I've actually written it down here because it was a lot, 20, 281 trillion colors available for, for our color sort of flexibility. So okay. basically what that means is with a RAW file, we get a, a lot more flexibility in the color, a lot more accuracy in the color, a lot less uh, banding or sort of posturization. So your starting point is going to be the file format to choose from the word go. Guys that are just going to shoot in JPEG are going to be able to get great prints, but never on the same level that you'll get from a raw file process. Yeah, that, that's, so that's that, that, the that's, starting point. Yeah. That is if, it's, if it goes through the correct process to the correct printer and everything. You'll get a better... If you, if you shoot RAW and JPEG, you and let's say I send it to you to print, the RAW image will look better than the JPEG image. Exactly. The raw, well, straight up the bat, the RAW file will be a bit flat and whatever, needs some, some sort of local adjustment. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the point, is to be able to know that, you you know, you take your RAW file, use it as 16 bits in your, I mean, most guys are using Lightroom or Photoshop, so in your camera, Adobe Camera Raw or your Lightroom, um, you know, so, so those, that's your sort of starting point, is to make sure that you've got the base file to work with and how to work with it from, from there, which is really important. Um, you know, I mean, what the nice thing is with a lot of what we're going to look at just now, if I, if I use Photoshop, um, I'll generally use the, the Photoshop Adobe Camera Raw, which gives us the same local adjustments as Lightroom. Yeah. So understanding what color is and how color is actually affected in the files is also a very important aspect to get, you know, from the word go. And that's, that's uh, why we talk about the raw file so much and why it's so important. Um, do, you, do you think it's important to talk a bit about what bit depth really means in terms of the, of the, the, the color file, of the, the sort of color coding of the image? Yeah, I think if we just, just a, quick, a quick rundown. It's, because a lot of a lot of these things are, that we're going to be chatting about is very technical data that I don't think a lot of if you've got wedding photographers watching this really and again also if the end client is not going to appreciate it that much they'll be happy with a JPEG print versus a raw print but if you want to do something really fine art for a big project then I would recommend if, if you get what I'm saying yeah 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 no definitely. All right, but just, just to put it in a nutshell, but depth is, is technically the grayscale. Um, hold on, I've got a pen and paper here. I'm just going to basically draw it out so that we get a, a sort of an understanding quickly on what it means. Um, let's just make sure I've got this here. All right, if we look at two, two squares like this, all right, one square is white and one square is completely black, all right? Yeah, that will be one, uh, so, so say that's black, completely solid black. That'll be one bit. The moment we double that, then we get two, show, two shades of, of black, so sort of like white going into black, different shading. And every time that doubles, until we get to 16-bit depth, which has 256 levels in a gray uh, to black in a very small sort of band, in, in basically per pixel in a sense. 
Okay. So the bit depth is the sort of the scaling of gray within each color. So the less scaling of gray, the more posturization and banding we get out of our colors. So the colors yeah. can sort of give each other a lot more contrast against each other. The gradient is not so smooth. So that's why the higher the bit depth, the sort of the higher the quality of the color is, the smoothness. If you were to look at, say, a blue sky going from a nice dark blue with a polarizer yeah. to sort of that light blue on the edge of the horizon, it will be nice and smooth. There won't be any sort of jaggedness between the colors. Yes. And that's really important. I mean, if you take an image and you put it on your screen or you print it out A4, you're not really going to notice these sort of things. But the moment like when I do prints like for you where they're two and a half, three meters in width by a meter in, in height, uh, you know, everything blows up a lot more and you start noticing these small, fine details. So that's where the, the process of, of using the right bit depth to get the right colors is very important, especially for large format printing. Okay. Um, and large format printing can be really fun and can be really stressful. I remember that last job I did for, for a guest house in the wilderness. I think we used, I think, what was it, five of your images? Yeah. It was quite stressful getting the, getting them done. It was a bit of a rush job. Uh, I think I got the order in on like a Monday and they had to be on the wall by Thursday or something. I remember. So that's printing, editing, mounting, you name it. It, it was quite stressful. And, and, um, and also that, to, that... To get those details right on large formats is, is key as well. And also that's, the, that's the, the great thing of knowing someone like you is that where we clients can... can or photographers, let's say they want to print something, they can then send it to you, and then you can prep it. If let's say you're not going to be printing it, the job is in Joburg, and they don't want to courier it, or they've got a, a good guy in Cape Town, or whatever the story is, they can send it to you, and you can give it a run through, and just see and fix what needs to be yeah, fixed. Yeah, definitely. And all I mean, that. I'll, I'll get the file prepped and ready, sized, uh, make sure all the fine details, everything are absolutely perfect. Uh, you know, there might be a few micro adjustments that uh, the guys on the printing side will have to do based on, you know, what sort of printing system they're using and how the color variance looks on their screens. But, you know, I mean, that's a service I do where, you know, I enlarge uh, files, I get them into, you know, sort of absolutely perfect for print. Yes. Um, especially for large format work. You know, smaller things like A4s, it's not, it's the, it's not as important. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of aspects to look what you look at in photographs for large format that are extremely important. Um, things like your digital noise, your color noise. I mean, obviously, you know, on screen when we look at things on social media, we don't pick up the noise level so mm. much. Uh, we don't look at uh, things like chromatic aberration so much. Now, this is just a very important aspect for me is the chromatic aberration that we get on the edge of, of, of images. I'm just going to flip to a screen share here to show you basically what I'm talking about. Um, hold on a second. I'm just going to put this to the, to the different to the speaker view so it's bigger. All right. Okay, I'm just going to quickly open up a file here uh, just to show you what I'm talking about. Um, I just I just chose this image randomly last night. Just to give you an idea, if, if we zoom in really tight here, we get a little bit of, can you see the sort of the yes. printing on the edge here? Yes. This little bit of blue here. I mean, it's, it's very minor, or this little bit fringing here, a little bit of blue-purple, which, you know, it looks like absolutely nothing on, on the image itself, which for most purposes is absolutely fine. But now imagine we go and we print this thing, say, two meters big. This variance of chromatic aberration over here, and sometimes then push to 
to sort of be sometimes even up to five millimeters big. So it's it's small details like this that we overlook. I mean, you know, guys talk about guys that pixel people like this as, you know, being a bit overcompensating and things. But a large format printing, something like that is something that you do have to sort of look at to get rid of, um, you know, with, with whatever way is best as possible. Even something like that, I might actually go take a little bit of this color in here and just pull up where the aberration was, look at the noise levels, make sure everything is absolutely fine. Even the slight little blue fringing that we get in these areas here, you know, it's something I will look at in great detail to make sure that the end results are very, you know, appealing. Um, small details on large prints can ruin images completely. Yeah, there's also there's also in um, in Lightroom there's a very quick and easy way to sort out. I would say 95% of that. If you use that color picker, um, you literally go pick it up and you go to the purple fringe and you click on it, and it will it will sort that out in 95% of the cases. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, things like that are really important. Um, I also picked out a file here just to show you another thing that I, I you know, a lot of guys do notice the, 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 the dust spots on the images, um, like here, for example. Um, things like this are, you have to look at them in great detail um, for, for large format printing and to, to actually be able to, to spot the sort of, um, the, these dust spots on your, on your images is really important. Um, a lot of the times, you the the screen itself that can't display enough colors that we can actually see. So we sometimes miss some of these dust spots. But the printer itself will actually be able to pick up the slightest variants, yes. and you'll find them on the prints, but you won't even see them on the screen. So I just want to quickly show a technique that I use sometimes to basically find the dust spots so that when I'm removing, um, sort of removing them, I know that I've got all of them done. And it's quite an easy technique. You just take your image in Photoshop, you duplicate your layer, uh, duplicate layer, and then basically you simply just use the levels control tool. Control or Command J. And you basically command, yeah, command J and Command L. And basically you almost screw your photograph up, uh, like, um, to basically add high contrast. Oh, I see. So as you can see here in the picture, you can see there, 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 there's some there. You can actually see where these dust spots are. So you can remove them quite easily. And basically, if you just make sure you work on your lower layer instead of on your top layer with, say, um, a spot healing tool or something like that, you know, it doesn't look like it's going away, but at least you know where the, the dust spots are. So or you can, you or you can just, um, if, you, layer if, off. Then, uh, if you go to the top, you can say sample all layers. So you can do it at the top one and it will go through all of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's multiple ways of doing it, but I'll just work on my background layer like that, wherever I see the spots, knowing that my, my tool will get rid of it quite easily. Um, and we can see here straight away, the results are pretty good. Okay, that's, um, a, that's quite a noisy picture. Yeah, quite a noisy picture. I chose this as well for a reason, you know, things like this, this luminance noise, and the color noise here in the wings is something that you sort of have to also look at. I mean, even if you look here on the beak of this bird, you're picking up quite a lot of color noise. If this was going to be printed large, this becomes distracting. And color noise is something that you always have to look at. Every single image, whether it be from a Nikon D6 or a Sony full-frame camera shot at 100 ISO, you are going to have color noise, whether you like it or not. But the beautiful thing is that in Photoshop or Lightroom, the moment you open any sort of file on your detail section here, 
if it's a raw file, it'll always put it at 25% to start with, so you don't actually notice it. Okay. And just a, a small a small amount can take out any, any color noise that you need, which is really great. So small things like this are things that bug me if they're not looked at properly when it comes to large format printing, and someone goes and prints something and there's color noise everywhere, luminance noise, chromatic aberration, or anything like that. Yeah. Tell me so these are things to me that... Yeah. If if we if you go back to that camera raw window with the noise reduction and the sharpening. Yeah. Now I know that you're not a huge fan of Lightroom, but it's exactly the same in Lightroom as it it's is. It's exactly there. the same in Lightroom. Yeah. yeah. So I've got a I've got a preset that I run on all my images when I export them for the client, the final images, and I've I've got my sharpening set to about between sixty and eighty. Radius and detail I leave as is, and then the masking is at about 75 or 80. But then a noise reduction, yeah. because I've, I've found from my personal liking is that um, images, um, I, get a, I get a really good average over all my images if I put my luminance noise to about 10 to 15, um, around about there, and th that gives me a really good result on... 95% of my images. So I've saved, yeah, you know, it's, I've, I've saved that as a preset. So when I'm done editing with everything, I simply <coughs> select all of them and I batch process that preset through the whole lot. Yeah, I mean, for something like that on, on weddings and things, you know, a preset, a preset can work perfectly fine. But when it comes down to like a large format print, your noise reduction and your sharpening is going to be different on anything, you know, based on how much noise or whatever there is. Yeah. Like, yeah, for example, I'd actually push my luminance noise up even considerably higher. I mean, way up. I mean, as we can see here, the, the detail's been lost a fair amount. But that's not too much the end of the world because we can bring that back afterwards. Um, but the, ultimately, what I would do is to look at getting the, the sort of the blue sky in the background as smooth as possible. And then the sharpening will be relative to the image itself. I mean, a landscape image, I would use a different sharpening tool than the camera roll, the Lightroom sharpening preset. But something like this where you can actually mask the, the area that we want to sharpen just by simply holding down the Alt key, we slide along the mask, and basically it'll show us the area that's going to be sharpened. Yes. If we sharpen this whole area here, for example, just to show you guys, if we put it, put it up there, um, the masking is not really helping us because we don't want to sharpen this area that we've just you know, reduced the noise on. Yes. So by actually minimalizing the area to focus the the sharpening tube gives us a, a nicer result than at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's simple. It's so just, you, you just hold down the Alt really, key. And really simple. Yeah, just hold down Alt, and um, while you're holding down Alt, you move the, the, the masking slider along, and basically the only area that's going to be uh, sharpened is the areas that are displayed in white. So as yes. you can see there, we've got a, a complete, um, complete white, and as we slide it along, that will change. Um, but... Just to give you a variance, if we were to use, say, a file like, um, let's use this. I've got this one here from Andrew Averly, um, the, the one you guys were actually talking about the other day. Um, if I were to do the same thing here with the sharpening, it's not going to work as well because, you know, we've got a lot of area where there's white. It actually is not too bad, I must be honest. Uh, but landscape images where you've got a lot of focus and things, it's it's not some, something I would use the same sharpening techniques for print on there. Yes. Uh, I would use uh, different techniques in Photoshop itself, uh, masking specific areas to focus, 
you know, to bring out whatever points I want to actually even soften certain areas. It's all dependent on, on the print itself. Like, for example, an image like this of Andrews, um, I would actually even take this bottom, sort of this bottom area here and this top area, and I'd actually soften it even a bit more for print, just to sort of get that transition to pull the focus onto the, onto the, the sort of the, the point of interest on the wall. Yeah. Now, would you do that? So, you with know, a, would, would you do that with a, a? Would you do it with a Gaussian blur or something like that? Um, well, there's there's multiple ways you can do it. You can in in Photoshop Camera Raw or the Camera Raw filter. You can just use the gradient filter as well. Yeah. You can just pull your clarity down a bit, your sharpness down a bit, and your noise reduction up. So these basically are three things that are going to be a blur at the end of the day. Um, so you can just do multiple actions like this. Uh, create a new one, maybe from the top. I mean, obviously, we don't want to sit with playing with exposures or anything like that. We want these sort of uh, local adjustments to be sort of neutralized. And we can do multiple um, actions like this. It's a lot more, I'd say it's a lot more flexible and a lot more controllable as opposed to using the Gaussian blur or your sort of field blur that you've got in your, you know, in your filter menus at the top here. You know, you've, yeah. got, you've got multiple blur options. You've got your iris, pull shift, off, spin blur, field blurs. And then multiple other types of blur tools here. Now so, tell me, tell so me that's quickly, probably a little bit more controllable than the other options. Tell me quickly, where's your texture slider in your camera raw? Have you played with a texture slider? They've they've added it to Lightroom. I actually haven't. I haven't actually done the update yet. I'm a, I'm very lazy when it comes to doing updates. I played on it uh, on a, on a friend's Mac recently, and it's it's quite nice. I must say, it's a nice it's a nice nice addition as well. Um, you know, it's kind of to me. It's almost. It's very similar in a sense. That it's it's like sort of using the clarity tool on a more localized area. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the nice, the nice and thing, with, the, nice, the nice thing with Lightroom as well, and it's built into Camera Raw. I'm just not 100 percent sure where you find it. If you use the brushes and the gradients and the elliptical um, filters, you can localize it down to your um, to just the highlights or just the shadows or and and just bring Definitely. out those little fine details which has really really been helpful yeah definitely um and and when it comes down to print those fine details what really matter um you know if you if you if you look at an image on screen you're never going to completely understand how it's going to look when when you print um just a, just a quick quick one here if you actually use the view tool here uh, you'll have a thing called print size. If you actually click on that, it'll give you the image itself at the size that you've printed it. So let's take this image of, of Andrew's here and just, just up the size a bit in Photoshop a bit. I'm just going to whack this to 80 centimeters, which is basically a, an A1. Yes. I'm just going to quickly do that, let that run. Um, uh, so let's go to the view and sort of the print size. That's where we are. So basically, what it's displaying here is sort of what the image quality will look like when this is printed. So it tries to mimic the portion that's on the screen if you were to have it on a wall, that's what it would look like. Yes. So what I always try to do is when I've got it at print size on my screen, I'll take a step or two back sort of at the viewing sort of distance that you would in, in the house or establishment where you're going to have it and see what the quality of it looks like. And from there, see if I need to sharpen, add more contrast, make it lighter, make it darker. Um, anything like that, and there, there's so many uh, things that are that you can't call a constant when it comes to printing. 
take an image like this. If it were to be put in a very light room, I would want to have a bit more contrast and put a bit more depth to the image. Whereas if the image was going to go in a very dark room in a house or, say, a passageway in a, in a house, you'd want to make it a bit lighter to sort of make it stand out and have more contrast against the wall. Yes. So editing a picture for print is not just about making it look great. You've got to make it look great where it's going to be put. So a lot of the times, like if I like the, the establishment I shot in Wilderness where we used a lot of your prints, I'll actually photograph the rooms and then I digitally put the image onto the wall using yes. the perspective tools and sort of try adjust the image according to what I think it's going to look like in that room. And that's basically where I try sort of visualize the output of, of, of the editing process. Yeah, I also do that for clients. Um, like if they want to do like a wallpaper or um, just, the, just the artwork, I would, and, and you can even put the, if, if they've, let's say they're going to be painting a wall like a maroon, red, or, or gray, or whatever, you can get that sample. And just a simple photo with your cell phone, just to get a good, to give the client a good idea of what it will look like, the finished product. So you take, you take, yeah, a, no, photo, take a photo with your cell phone, take a photo of the color thing, just, and you select it with a pen tool, drop that color in there, and put the image on top of that, and just, yeah, I mean, even even those those like the color samples, you can actually get their um, their sort of their color coding uh, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. over here. Yes, that that you can you can use a lot of them give you that, so you can actually pop it in like you know just just draw a mask on the wall, add it in as a gradient with that color, and then you've got a nice accurate sort of way of visualizing the image on the color. Um, it's something I do as well quite often, and I must say it's a really nice service to offer. Yeah, but um, not we, just when you photograph and when you're printing, you know, but it makes guys come back, and that's what we need, especially now with with all of this lockdown. We need we need the return return clients to come back. And the thing is, if if even if you do it remotely, like you would, if you're in Iceland, the clients in Joburg or whatever, they can take the photo with the cell phone. It's it's just to give give them an idea of what the space will look like with your image or whoever's image on the wall where they want it. Definitely, yeah. And there's also if the client if the client comes to you and says, "Listen, uh, I want to have an A3 print or an A2 print," and they give you a six meter wall, then you can say to them, "Listen, this is what an A2 print on a six meter wall is going to look like." You might as well. Not yeah, have exactly. So you then you say to them, "Right, listen, you need to put a three meter print on a six meter wall." Yeah, yeah. Visualize the size, you know, to scale, and it gives the guys a better idea. And a lot of the time. These big prints can make a huge impact, um, especially oh, yes. in a lot of these these sort of new modern sort of Scandinavian style houses where they've got a lot of the light in these massive open walls. You you know, large format printing can really stand out and make uh, you know sort of a great a great difference. Yeah, no, and, and uh, visualizing it for the client is what sells the product. Oh yes, yeah. I've I've had really big print orders, and I'm pretty sure yourself just by doing that. Yeah. Look, it's not a it's not a quick process. It, it's a time consuming process. So. Often, if you start working with a client that wants to have a number of prints in his office or his house or wherever, it, it can take two or three months from when you start talking to them until the product is finally, um, you finally get the order. It's because yeah, you, know, definitely. you need to go in, they need to select what they want, then you need to go in and get those pictures done, put it digitally on it, send it off to them, they need to have a look at it and get the feel for it. Uh, it's a it's a long process, but it's totally totally worth it. Yeah, um, and also just just a bit of advice to any guys out there that are that do have clients that that are looking for images and this and that. Don't give too much of a selection. 
the moment you go to a client with 200 images to choose from for print, yeah. you are going to end up in this three month process that, that, that you're talking about. Um, when, when we went and did this place in wilderness recently, I think we went with about 30 images for a selection. I think it was of about 10 or 12 final prints. Yes. And it actually narrowed it down and sort of, you know, you, you go in and you, you get an idea of what, what you need for a place in terms of print, what is going to look good, what sort of the client's sort of likings are. You go in with a, a smaller selection. It focuses then uh, the attention to what needs to be done and the choices that need to be made. And the process can be sped up a lot more from there, from then going into the digital editing side for the printing, getting the printing done on the right media, paper, frames, whatever the case is, actually getting the product on the wall. Yes. Um, so that's just sort of some good advice to have. Yeah, and, and also, um, okay, to help, you, to help people narrow it down that, or the way I do it is I said to them, listen, what is your idea or your theme that you've got? And then often they would say, oh, shit, we've got no idea what we want to have on the wall. We want a landscape. Then you say to them, okay, right. If, like, let's say if it's an office, office building for accountants or um, uh, lawyers or something like that, I said to them, right, okay, right, what's your main type of client? And they say to you, uh, we work with um, a lot of international clients. You say, okay, right, what do people from international know about South Africa? They know Table Mountain, they know lions, and they know elephants. They yeah, know. completely. So, so, I mean, you use things that, 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 that work. Yeah, so immediately you bring in the, you, you're narrowing down, you say, okay, right, in my portfolio, I've got this in that thing. Or the client, or like, let's say if you work with the interior designers and you ask them, okay, right, what is it you need? They said, okay, we've got a color scheme of purple, uh, turquoise, and red. So, okay, right, sunset shots can work with that. So now you send them a selection of sunset images with those color schemes in the sky, or for instance, that they can that can fit in with it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the selection like that is, it's, it's, it's probably the most important thing because at the end of the day, the client's got to live with it for a lot longer than you do. Yes. Um, you know, everything's got to fit and it's got to work. I mean, like, for example, in your office, if, if, if I, knowing you, if I were to send you a print that, that I'd want you to see every day in your office, I'd have to know what you like and what would work. Um, like, for example, if I sent you a print of a great white shark jumping out the water, I think every day you would hate me a little more. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never forgive us for that day, will no, you? Never, 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 ever. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically when, I mean, I'm just looking, I did write a few notes here. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the basics of, of, of what to look at when it comes to printing. Another aspect I was thinking about, which is quite important, is to try not to crop your image until you know the final size of the image. So if you're in Camera Raw, Lightroom, or Photoshop, or whatever, try not to crop your original image. Yes. Especially for the purpose of, of canvases, which are quite popular because they're sort of a lot more affordable way of doing things. So you, you sometimes need extra for your wraparounds or... Maybe the client will want the image that you've got maybe in a 16 by 9 format instead of, you know, your, your sort of original crop, your creative crop. They will want it in a specific shape. So keep your cropping sort of until, you know, I mean, artistically, if it's for your, your own personal sort of gallery, you know, you go ahead. But you keep the file in its original crop format so that you've got that flexibility at a later stage if needed. Um, that's quite important. I often get a lot of guys that come to me and they want to do a wraparound canvas, say in a 16 by 9 ratio, 
I've got nothing to work with. Start doing reflective wraps or, you know, getting creative with uh, your content aware filling and, you know, it, it becomes complicated and unnecessary at the end of the day. Yeah. When the but, original data was available to start with. But yeah. that's also... So that, that to me is just something that I recommend guys look at. Yeah, but that's also where, where your service can come in is that you can say to them, right, send me, send me the, the final image that you show to the client, like what we've done um, with that shipwreck photo of mine with the colors and everything that the yeah. client like and also with the crop and then send you the raw file and you can then fix it correctly yeah no definitely yeah it's okay. uh it's, it's a service that's not not easy to do to get to get it right but it's something i'm quite proud to say that i do offer yeah um just quickly on another thing um oh man it was to do with the with the um also with the cropping. Uh, Andrew, Andrew posted a comment here on the YouTube and that's through my mind off. He says, none of those sell, only giraffes sell to people from Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Andrew. What is the ideal way to scale up an image from your native resolution to, um, to print size? All right, uh, hold on, let me just get the screen share thing on the go quickly again. Uh, where's Photoshop? Uh, basically, the system I use is, okay, obviously you've got to know what your final size is going to be, whether it be a canvas or a paper print that's going in a frame. Uh, like what we did here with Andrew's image is we just used the image size. Yes. It works, you know, I mean, there's quite a few programs out there for upsizing uh, images that have been renowned over the years for getting, you know, sort of the best quality, but Photoshop's always been one step ahead and sort of, you know, kept up with these top programs and just used it as their basic sizing tool. So using the, the image size in Photoshop is, you know, perfectly acceptable in my, in my opinion. If we're going to go really big, like say the width of this is going to be three meters, you know, I wouldn't do it in one bang go. I would maybe go to one meter, then to one and a half meters, then from one and a half meters to two meters. And sort of until I'm about 80% of the way there, in terms of sizing, then I'll just double check the sharpness and the detail in the images before I go to the sort of the maximum file size. So say you go from two meters to two and a half meters or two and a half meters to three meters, the end result is not going to be that much different, but the file itself will be a lot bigger, which means that say you're going to do any sort of like a camera raw filter adjustments or anything, it can end up taking a lot of time. Yes. And there's a good chance that sometimes your Photoshop's going to crash because maybe your computer doesn't have enough RAM or memory or anything like that. And then it's a painful you know, process of starting from the beginning unless you've managed to get a nice uh, save on the file or anything like that. So this image sizing does work. Um, otherwise, if you do need to size an image for, say you've got a specific frame and the image is going to be a specific size, the crop tool itself is also actually not a bad way of doing it. So say we wanted the picture had to be 100 centimeters wide and then say 60 centimeters high. From there we'll also use our resolution over here, pixels per inch always, and print is always going to be 300 pixels per inch. Yeah. And a lot of printers so they can print up to 6,000 dpi, whatever. It means nothing. In Photoshop you use 300 dpi, otherwise when the printer prints it, the size is not going to be the same. So that is quite important. So using this actually to sort of let's call it a window to make the image the size that we need it to be. It's another great way of, you know, sort of upsizing an image. Um, and okay. now we also know that the ratio is the right size for the print or the frame or, or the wall or wherever we are. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're there. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Um, do you use any plugins? I know that um, that yeah. genuine freckles or but what is it? it's on one um, on one resize also works General quite well. fractals and on one and yeah, you know, you know, basically that's what I was saying is these these upsizing programs. Basically, over the years, Adobe just follows what they're doing, and their image size basically gives you. I mean, I've done large format prints where I've used all of these softwares and used Photoshop, and there is absolutely no difference between the two. As long as you don't jump everything into one, like they go from a 50 centimeter native size image to a three meter in one jump, you know, you, you'll be absolutely fine. Just if you keep upsizing in Photoshop, you'll get the same results with any of those professional Okay, programs. So, now, so now I've upsized my, my, my thing from, let's say, a 50 centimeter native RAW file. I go to like 80 centimeter. What do I, do I say that as a TIFF file? Okay, very important. If it's for print, always save as a TIFF file image. When we save as a JPEG, we, we, we're going from our 16-bit file with all that color information back down to an 8-bit file. So we're losing half the battle by doing that. So always save as a TIFF file, preferably with 16 bits, so that we've got all that color information. Um, and then you can use the compression on, on, the, on the TIFF file, you know, the saving option. We get what's called the LZW compression, which really is great, because the biggest problem with TIFF files is that they are really large. Yes. Some of those files that I used, uh, like for two and a half, three meters of, of your star trail, without any compression, I think they were coming out at about 2.8 gigabytes yes. per image, which is a bit stupid. And then with the with the compression, they were you know under a gig. Okay. So yeah, TIFF file is large and it uses a lot of data, but you know it is generally the best way to go. Um, okay, so you, if you so, are looking okay, at so, base problem, you can use something that's called a JPEG 2000, which gives you the option of 16-bit color color rendition to that. Okay, but just, it's not really a, a very widely recognized file format. You know, uh, you, you need a specialized program like Photoshop or whatever to open it. Um, whereas to, to file, you can open, you know, online, you can use any sort of image viewer platform. Um, so TIFF's generally your best way to go. Okay, just okay, just quickly that workflow. So as I take the 50 centimeter, I go into image size, Take it to 80 centimeter, close it, do whatever I need to do, and yep. then I save it. So then I then I yep. then I close the, the file in in Photoshop, or do I or can I resize? I can upsize it from there straight away. Yeah. Okay. So say here I save it. Let's call it. Uh, I'll just call it sized one. Yeah. It's wrong. Whatever. Um, you can use the compression. Blah blah. You go and you save it. You wait for it to get done. From there, you can go straight away and carry on sizing it again. So let's go say, ah, let's just go to two, two meters. You can do that again, let it run, and you know you can just carry on like that. Okay. Yeah. But you need to quite, you, you quite, need quite. you need to save it after each upsize. I wouldn't say you know I wouldn't say it's completely necessary. It, it's relevant to to the computer system that you're using. You know, if you've got a bit of a slower computer system and you're worried about it crashing, in, you know, then I, would, I definitely would. Um, if you've got, you know, a really nice i7 processor with like 32 gigs of RAM, nice graphics card, you know, you've got the power at your disposal on your display to sort of upsize without having to worry about things like that. Okay. Um, but as you can see here, my mind's taking its, its sweet time, which normally it doesn't, but it's, it's, it's Murphy's Law. Yeah, but we've got lots of, um, lots of bandwidth and stuff streaming through at the moment. Yeah, there we go. 
All right. So, I mean, you can see there. Let's just have a look here. Um, just move you out the way. Let's just have a look here at the the sort of the the difference in quality. This was sized at a meter, and then this, this is now sized at two meters. So the quality has actually remained pretty pretty good here. Um, yes. Obviously, I mean the image is not the sharpest to start with. Sorry, Andrew, no offense. Um, but but the quality itself is we haven't really had any sort of loss in quality from upsizing, which which is normally the best the best sign. Often when we upsize things, we'll often get sort of haloing effects on on the you know sort of edges. I've actually got a file here that's that perfect example um, that I, I nicked off from my friend Cedric Kerala last night just to show that this was a a original raw file that was saved as a DNG, but somehow downscaled to 4.6 megapixel. I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna worry about doing any adjustments. I'm just gonna open this image up here. Um, you know, because not everyone's always gonna have an image from a you know a top professional camera that's you know got 20 or 50 megapixels yeah. or whatever the case is. You know, maybe a guy's shooting with a, a you know sort of an entry level camera, and he, and he wants to try get the results that we're getting. And you know, great. I mean, guys like that, I completely support you. But what you'll get is, if you look at an image like this, you can see sort of haloing effects. Um, and that's from trenching the file maybe down and then up or adding too much contrast. Um, let's just quickly size this bad boy up a bit more. I mean, this is quite small. Let's make this about, about 80 centimeters just so that we can get a, a realistic look at this halo effect. And it's one of these sort of the fine details that I find is very important to look at in an image. Because now, I mean, imagine you printed this. You've got this halo effect all around yeah. your your sort of your your edgings, whether it be a landscape, you get a lot of landscapes, especially seascapes on the edges of rocks, uh, wildlife images. So you you do get a lot of this sort of thing, and it's it's something that you know on 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 screen, something like that. Whether you're looking at it on Facebook, you know, it looks great. Yes. But the moment you upscale to print, you start picking up these these sort of halos and things, which most people when they look at it, they go, it's not even worth trying to fix because it's so much work, and you know, how do you actually get rid of it? Um, just for any of the guys that want to know the easiest way of sort of removing this sort of halo effect, just as a quick way, to actually use the clone stamp tool. The S, you pick out your clone stamp tool. But the trick is to actually change your mode, which is normally set to normal at the top. Just change it to dark in color. Now, where is it there? So basically what happens is when we select our source here, it actually just darkens it a little bit. As you can see there, even though I'm going over the edge of his snoot here, or let's say his, um, his, his horn here, it actually won't affect the darker area, which is the always generally the area inside. Okay. Um, so you don't have to be completely accurate. So it can make life a lot easier. You know, if you just want a quick fix or whatever, just to sort of pop it through like that, you know, to get rid of as much as as you as you want in an easier, much quicker way. Um, just to see okay. the, the variation there very quickly. You know, it's it's probably the easiest way of getting rid of diffraction lines, haloing effects from too much localized adjustments, like especially your clarity tool will do that. Your contrast tool with too much white and black point adjustments, over sharpening, uh, downsizing, then upsizing, um, especially these guys that go and pinch images off, off websites, for example, throw them in Photoshop, upsize them and want to print them. You'll find that uh, you'll get that a lot from the upsizing effect. And I mean, we've all seen guys that, you know, pinch a poster saying, you know, this or that off of the web and go and print it and have it in their house. And that's, you know, the quality is just shocking. You can always see it straight away that it's a web image that's been printed, you know, thinking at high resolution. Yeah. So that's, well, again, well, the starting point is always to have the best file possible to start with. Yeah, the thing is, you, you, and, I will, you and I will see it, but um, 
the, the, the general public won't notice it. No, definitely not. Um, just, uh, I wonder if I can <clears throat> quickly look for something here. It's an image of my father's that he took many, many years ago. I don't think I'm going to find it online now. No, unfortunately not. Uh, if I can find it, I'll, I'll get you to share it on Facebook. It's an image he took with a four megapixel camera that we managed to print over three and a half meters um, in, in width. So to illustrate, it's not about the number of megapixels, but the quality of the pixels in the first place, that you don't get yes. uh, artifacts and distractions like that in your images. And it's about the process of not downsizing and then upsizing, always keeping your sort of your native resolution as your standard to upsize for the future. So, I mean, you know, four megapixel photo at three, three and a half meters, and it came out absolutely fantastic. Oh. Hmm. Looks like, looks like the YouTube cut us off there. Let's just see. It looked like it. Uh, it's saying live at the moment from my side. Yeah, same with me. Well, we've gone on to 69 minutes on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, of, of editing for print, that's basically, I'm just looking, you know, that's basically the base, you know, what the main things people need to know. From there, it's, it's all about your own creativity and what you want. Uh, everyone's idea of what their image should look yeah. like for print is going to be their sort of creative, <clears throat> creative uh, vision. Yeah, which is, is is great. It's always nice to see, and it, you can always see on prints. You can sometimes spot a mile away with the photographers. Yours are particularly quite easy because I know them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I sometimes I walk into like it was a couple of years ago. I walked into a guest. I'm like, yeah, that's Andrew's pictures, or yeah. hey, that's Hochart's, or um, you know, you, you immediately pick up the style of of, of you know guys' yeah. images on prints, especially. It looks and like it looks nice like it's able to, to it go around like, the country and know the guys. Yes, it looks like it stopped the uh, stopped the screen share option, but we can still carry on talking on this side, which is which is interesting. All right, cool. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I th I think well, it's we over an hour already, so I, I think. Um, yeah, no, that's good. Eh? I yeah, think I'm gonna get an oxtail on the go. It's flipping nice. hot outside. I'm gonna jump in the pool. You can't. And, uh, people can't go to the beach for the rest of the day. I said people can't even go to the beach down there by you. No, not at all there. Um, and it must really suck for the guys that live like on the beach. You know, they can see it, but you can't go there. Let, well, no, that's the worst. That's At least the, I can't see the beach from where I live. <laughs> well, if if you're a surfer or if you've got little kids, um, that would be the worst. Yeah, no, I mean it's like putting candy in front of the kids and saying you can't have any. Yeah, it can't yeah. work like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Warren, I think that was a really, really All right, cool man. chat. Um, I'm I'm going to save this and and put it out as a podcast as well. So that the people, oh, fantastic. Yeah. The, the people that listen to that, um, they probably will have to go into the YouTube video and just go and have a look at what we, what you showed us there. Um, but I definitely, yeah, perfect, I definitely learned a thing or two uh, that I've always Good wanted stuff. to ask, wanted to ask you. So, yeah. No, great stuff, man, and I look forward to having another chat with you sometime. Yeah, we, we, do, I think we're definitely going to do one or two more uh, before this. No, we've well, got the time. We've got nowhere to go to, man. Got nowhere yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Huh. Cool. So, so they got no excuse not to watch you. <laughs> um, Warren, I'm gonna I'm gonna link your social profiles on my um, Instagram and my Facebook and everything, and then yeah, 
Okay, hopefully the people can get no, to you. No, sounds good. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks, hey. You have an awesome day. You too. You too. Right. Check, All right, bro. Check, check, Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for watching. And um, thank you to Warren for sharing all his, um, his awesome info on uh, printing large format images. And hopefully we can get, get him back on again. And, um, yeah, I should be putting this one out soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Chat soon.